Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Blood, Sweat, and Fears podcast. Uh, we are doing episode 13 now, back in November. I am joined by not Alan Jay. I'm joined by the wonderful Darren Connell again, because Alan Jay is sadly ill with the Rona. I don't know how he got it. Um, I, I have a feeling he's just gone and made up other diseases as well. Uh, Alan, uh, he got polio confused with the polo lounge. He's just sat at home, <laughs> ill, doing whatever he does. I think he's playing that new Robocop game. But uh, how are you doing, Darren? Thank you for giving us a last-minute call. I feel like a super sub. So <laughs> I also have the Rona, but I don't care about you. So. Uh, Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's really nice to be here and it's lovely to meet you as well, mate. So thank you. Thanks for asking us. Uh, and we have a really exciting guest with us today. He's one of my favorite stand-ups on the circuit. Please welcome the wonderful Ignacio Lopez. Yeah, man. Pleasure to be. Episode 13. What an apt number as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. If it was it. a Friday, then we'd be fucked. We'd be rocking it. Yeah, yeah. When does this go out? We can pretend it is. Uh, 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 I love how on um, they're just building a bunch of new buildings in Cardiff where I am, like high rises and stuff. And it still makes me laugh that um, like the third, there is no 13th floor on any kind of, it's just a 26 story building, but it's actually a 25 story building, but they've just marked up there's no 13th floor. And it's like, I've got some bad news for people moving on to the 14th floor, okay? Because you are you are on the 13th floor. Floor 13 does sound like it would be the name of a horror movie as well. It definitely is, yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's about a, like a, I think, well, there's, there is a film about the killer lift, I think, a killer elevator. Um, oh, yeah, Devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which should have been out. called Floor 13, I think. You know, they missed the trick on that one. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I don't hear the word devil and think, oh, I an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't really like elevators because I'm autistic and don't like being around people. But yeah, I'm, I'm more of an escalator kind of man, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, I just resent having to go to floors other people have pressed. I'm like, this isn't where I wanted to go. What are you doing? <laughs> like, you got to stop like five times before you get to wherever. So. Oh, the worst part is I've got that at my university, right? And uh, when I go into the elevator, if I'm late for class, it'll always go to the floor that's been pressed first. So my class could be on like floor three and there'll be some cunt in there who's pressed floor 10. And I'm like, <laughs> I have to wait to go up to floor 10 and then it stops at every floor on the way down. And that is the dumbest system for it. <laughs> it shouldn't do that at all. It should be, what is the closest floor? All right, Strathclyde, do better. Yeah. <laughs> my, my idea of a horror would be the elevator breaking and just having to walk upstairs. <laughs> I think I'd be dead before yeah. I got the 13th the, the floor. The sound of the panting villain in it, you know, it's, it's you just climbing up those stairs. Everyone's like, what's that noise? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what? Horror movies have gotten so artsy now that I reckon there will be a horror film about just someone walking upstairs trying to avoid a killer. And it'll be marketed as like this next big thing, like, you know, how It Follows was, and then it'll get critical acclaim, and then you'll see dweebs in sweater vests making videos essays about it. I oh, haven't even talked about the movie that we're talking about, but before we uh, before we get on to that, uh, recently I did have a pretty big gig. You were there in the audience, uh, yeah. played the King's Theatre for the BBC New Comedy Award final. By the time this goes out, I can talk about it. I did not win the thing, sadly, uh. but um, opening the Kings, that's my win. It was... I can't describe how fucking cool that was to like celebrate two years in comedy opening the King's Theatre while like fucking Darren Harriet and Zoe Lyons and all that are in the wings. I don't know what's going to come of it as of yet, but um, hopefully big things on the horizon. I'm taking a little bit of a breather now just to write some new material, then I'm going to get back out there on the circuit. It was fucking lovely to have you as well there, Darren, so thank you so much for coming along. You know, 
we were very proud of you mate like genuinely i've been doing stand-up in scotland for a long time and when i started it's you know what it's like people are a bit bitter and stuff yeah yeah totally. Yeah, <laughs> like that was amazing camaraderie from everyone and you smashed it mate like i sent you a voice note after it and i, mm -hmm. I could feel myself getting emotional oh, i was I like hear fucking you getting emotional 10 years ago i was a bitter bastard like <laughs> <laughs> so it was like really nice to just first on he smashed it you get a couple of, of applause breaks and you've done so well darren actually had to mention you and i was like yeah good good that's on awesome you, man. man good work excellent uh, stuff it's really funny though because see them i was sitting backstage with all the other comics right and see as soon as darren mentioned my name i knew i hadn't won it but i was like i don't care this feels nice yeah and like no one can take it away from me that i've opened the king's theater that's so. uh, that's the best way to look at it man you, every like i i stopped entering competitions after like the first couple of years of comedy because i was like it's so, it's so much pressure mm -hmm. but if you treat them like a gig and you enjoy it for what it is like each of the kind of venues you're playing and stuff that's, that's the best way so just enjoy every every gig you can take uh, and instead uh, it's kind of full circle because you were the host of my first ever comedy <laughs> competition when i was still going by the glasgow kids <laughs> <laughs> and he was online as well of all things so. oh, mate, nothing will humble you more as a comedian than having to sit your laptop on an ironing board to do a so you think you're funny be honest right what did you think of a guy called the glasgow kid i was like this guy is gonna come on in a cowboy hat and pistols and just like fire punchlines you know it's a, it's a cool nickname but as a stage name i think uh, you've made the decision right decision to go by your name that was a good one. Yeah. yeah i mean because imagine if i hadn't and then uh, the bbc new comedy awarded us as the glasgow, <laughs> the glasgow kid, kid at the king's theater and then i probably you know what that probably would have set a precedent in the audience that i would have ended up doing less well because it's i mean i was talking about this on like other podcasts as well but it was a stupid name and it was only because I was afraid of being myself on stage. So thankfully got rid of that Dean T burn all the fucking way. Nice yeah. Man. But it would have meant as well, if you got like a great reaction, obviously in Glasgow and then went through to like somewhere else, you'd have to change your name depending on which city you were in. Oh God. To get a good reaction from them as well. So you'd be like, oh, it's the, uh, it's the five kids. You know, it's the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I ain't taking Stuart McPherson's uh, E off of him. <laughs> He's the only comedian I know from five, I think. <laughs> I'm sure there's more, but... Uh, or just like changing it like the Cardiff cat and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, I'm so pleased you didn't go with sheep there you know that's because that's the kind of I'm you showed a lot of restraint there <laughs> I'm Scottish. I can't slag countries oh, for man. sheep. <laughs> I didn't know you were from Aberdeen. No, just Scotland in general. Please, first time I came up here to Scotland, I was like, you know, coming up from Wales. I did a compilation show in the Fringe with um, with a group of Welsh acts, and we called the show "Escape from the Land of the Sheep" because we'd never been to Scotland before. And then on the way up to Edinburgh from uh, Swansea, we were living at the time. We like we got out of Wales, and then I've never seen so much fucking sheep in my life. <laughs> in scotland i was like i think we i think we gave our show the wrong name guys all right everywhere like so whereas you know in the main cities in wales you don't see any sheep you know it's a kind of rural thing but that's the stereotype people like to to put out there so yeah. we should have named it something different but why is lamb so expensive then if there's so many fucking sheep about <laughs> i mean mutton's fucking you know what that's probably it because they let the sheep age too much and then you've got too much fucking mutton that <laughs> tastes like dog shit and is so cheap and then you've yeah. got the lamb there just like oh we're gonna make that more expensive I, 
I mean, I, I, I want to have lamb more often. Is that too much to ask? I, I love think... how you're genuinely upset there. <laughs> it's like the cost of lamb, yeah, that's the that's the great debate, isn't it? I think I think people with lamb, people are paying for the cruelty of killing the younger of the of the thing, isn't it? It's like, well, you know, that's, I'm glad we're on a horror podcast. That kind of yeah. place as well. Kill the children first, you know. Yeah, but... we should eat. We should eat it on our left. <laughs> Lamb dinner on an elevator, man. Rock and roll. <laughs> oh, that's going to be the sequel to Devil, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we should probably get straight on to the movie we're talking about. It's a movie I've never seen before, and um, I'm really glad that you picked this because we were, we went through a couple of options when I asked you to come on. We could have done, like, Child's Play, New Nightmare, things like that, but Session 9 is... It's, like, it's unlike any fucking horror film I've ever seen, and, like usually we do pretty fun horror films on this podcast this is the first time we've done one that's like a proper slow burn proper psychological drama kind of thing and the funniest thing was because we had to i had to shuffle around with getting a guest host for this because alan was ill darren actually did not have time to watch the movie so <laughs> for the entire of this episode me and ignatio are going to be like the fucking plucky eyed screenwriters who are trying to pitch this movie to the hollywood producer that is darren connell and he, he sat there wishing he had a glass of scotch that's really apple juice because i don't believe that drinking scotch thing is actually a thing I reckon they're all drinking apple juice because apple juice is fucking class. Probably goes pretty well with lamb, actually. I'm going to try that out tonight. In, in movies, they're definitely drinking apple juice. You know, like if you imagine like all the kind of uh, famous movies, they can't be drinking whiskey for those that many takes. They'd be, yeah. they'd be mm -hmm. fucked. It wouldn't... Uh, it wouldn't get a line out. You know, it'll be, it'll be I mean, I've seen how James Woods is now. He could have been drinking whiskey. That explains a lot, actually. Yeah, I think so. That's, <laughs> that guy should not drink whiskey and tweet. That's what uh, James Wood motto should be. Just stay, stay off the whiskey. Yeah, but uh, what, what was it about this that kind of... Because uh, you told me this was one of your favorite horror movies. So, like, what so is it about I, it? When, growing up, like, so weirdly, in Spain, you don't... Uh, at the time when I was a kid, you don't really have film ratings. Uh, so there aren't really uh, like classifications for stuff like in the cinemas or whatever. It's kind of like just a recommended age, at least it was when I was a kid. So my mother would take me in to see like fr a Friday the 13th movie in the cinema when I was like three, four years of age, you know, and I love that stuff. Uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies were some of my favorites. <laughs> love the Child's Play movies. I had the Chucky doll when I was a kid, you know? Oh, I and really want to get one of those. tape in the back you could put in there and the good guy's doll. And you could, but then you could record your own stuff and have it say whatever you wanted. So like it, it originally, it wasn't lines from the movies, like a kid's toy. And I used to put the tape in, I like record horror lines from it, you know, and then people would come around the, the, the apartment in Mallorca and we play them. So I loved horror movies growing up and I loved to scare people and stuff. And I loved sort of CGI, like props and like real effects, like The Thing and Nightmare on Street movies. But then when I came to the UK uh, and I found out as a teenager, um, I'm not allowed to go into the cinema and see whatever movies I want. So that kind of put a bit of a curb <laughs> on seeing movies. Like I broke up to the cinema and they were like, uh, have you got any idea? But like, no, why? I'm like, this is an 18. I was like, yeah, so? <laughs> you know, I'm like 13 years of age or whatever. And they're like, nope, I'll get the fuck out of here. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, but watched a load of DVDs. I got into stuff on DVD. And one day, my friend and I, who was in a, a metal band, uh, turned up with this DVD and he was like, oh, we're, we're going to watch this movie. I've heard really good things about it. And it was, it was Session 9. Uh, and I, I like slasher movies, you know, gory films and stuff. And then there's this slow burning, which is almost like the film is 99% atmosphere. Like oh, it's yeah. such a slow, dense movie um, with, with just kind of, uh, you know, playing with stuff like soundscapes and tape recordings, really creepy, old-fashioned sort of audio. The audio in it's incredible. 
uh, and he, he came with this movie. And it was also the first time, because I, I don't do many drugs, but my friend who was in the band suggested, um, why don't we watch this movie? Uh, we didn't make hash brownies. We made hash pancakes. <laughs> So we basically, it's like gone midnight. We've got in from a gig or something. He's got this horror DVD we've never heard of. Um, and he was like, let's do hash brownie, uh, hash uh, pancakes. So we, we just made a, a shit ton of pancakes and we just consumed all of these pancakes as if it's breakfast or whatever, just kept on eating. And I was, you know, you, th- as a complete amateur, I was like, I don't feel anything. I keep eating the pancakes, right? And then obviously it hits you like a third of the way from the movie. And this was the most terrifying movie. And then I'm paranoid and these sound effects are not helping while I'm watching this thing, these creepy sounds. I'm like turning around and worrying and stuff. And it's like the story is set in an asylum and in an abandoned asylum and it's a group of guys who go in there uh, to clear the asbestos uh, and it's just a really creepy film and I, I just remember sitting there terrified the entire time and that the first opinion of a movie I think sticks with you for a long time so even on subsequent viewings I'm getting like like almost like acid acid flashbacks to that first experience sitting in my mate's like apartment watching this movie just the two of us not talking for like three hours after the film had finished just convinced one of us was going to kill each other you know <laughs> See, if you watch this again, you have to eat pancakes with it just to like get back to that memory. That's it, man. I put on weight every time I watch this movie. You know? <laughs> the maple syrup is CBD oil. You know, I'm just, I'm going wild on this. <laughs> Darren, you ever had hash pancakes? Do you know what I was going to say that? I've never heard of hash pancakes. I don't think it's a thing, to be honest with you. I think we didn't have the ingredients for anything else. He was like, we got eggs, we got flour. Like, let's just yeah. do, let's just do pancakes. It's just a pancake with hash in it and <laughs> yeah, you fold it up yeah it like was like a calzone. A, yeah it was like well it was like a you know a hash fajita that's what i was eating you know i was just kind of like, put some chopped peppers in there as well yeah <laughs> i mean i actually have seen savory pancakes being a thing in like america and stuff like i've never tried them but they sound class yeah they do like uh this, when you go to like a crepe place or whatever they do um they do like savory ones there as well but it's always it's always weird having you know, same yeah. I'm so used to having them as a sweet food. So they do one at the cinema that I go to where it's like you can get turkey and I think it's craft cheese inside a crepe and it sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gross, man. I would that. never pair turkey with cheese. That sounds weird to me. Yeah. You could. Was, was, what was nice about the pancakes? They were so sweet that you couldn't taste any drugs in them whatsoever. So we, that's why we consumed so many of them. We we're like, oh, this is, you know, this is great. This is fine. And, just- and you probably need the dopamine from the pancakes because this movie is fucking depressing. Oh, as totally, fuck. man. Yeah, it, it affected me for a long time. You know, I thought about it for a long time after. So, and I, at the time as well, I was doing uh, one of the things I talk about in my tour show is just like how how much of a failure I was at that part in time in my life. Like music wasn't going great. I was working multiple jobs. And I did a job at one point, which was quite similar to this one. Thankfully, not in an insane asylum, uh, but it was cleaning out um, a slaughterhouse. So, which is, it would have been a great setting for a horror movie, but- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But it was a big industrial one and we had to clean out these drums of like um, places where they kind of process like chicken meat and all that kind of stuff. And the stench will stay with me for the rest of my life. You know, it was horrific. So that in itself, uh, as well as pancakes, just I've got these flashbacks to the movie every time I think of these. That would turn stuff. anyone vegetarian working in a slaughterhouse. Like, I, that's what I always hear from chefs. I wish I wish I could say it did, but I'm still a meat eater, unfortunately. <laughs> Even though I'm on the, I know I'm on the wrong side of history. I know I'm doing a terrible thing, but I can't give up chorizo, man. It's not happening, you know. So am I, but that's because I'm bisexual, not because I love meat. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> but have you, have you read the premise for the movie? Do you know? Yes, what the yes. Is? Do you know? I was oddly surprised that I haven't seen it because, like, it seemed you know, like I thought it was going to be something that you had like seen before. Yeah, but I've, I've, I love horror movies. I love movies in general, and I, I'm the type of guy that just goes to the cinema and just. I'll just walk in and watch what's on instead of kind of looking for what's on. And I've seen your tweets. You've been walking out a lot lately. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. So um, I was really surprised that I've never heard of it. Do you guys remember a film? I think it was called like I or something. Or um, oh God, well, It must have come out like 2008 or 2000, 2007, 2008, something like that. Uh, it rings a bell. It's yeah. kind of like a Big Brother style like yeah i think i watched that when i was a kid and i've tried to like wipe it from my memory since because it probably affected me pretty hard so i was working in a cinema at the time and um when that movie came out i remember somebody came in and the usher ushered a family with kids into the wrong screen <clears throat> and they went in to see that film i uh basically as somebody is chopping into somebody's face with an axe like you know it's it's really intense bloody moment yeah. and, like these kids just go in they think oh the film's already started not realizing what's on the screen and then this horrible like thing happens and they just came out the kids look <laughs> traumatized as uh -huh. it will be for the rest of their life they came in to watch like a <laughs> pixar movie or something and uh yeah so yeah. and that usher got fired and then had to go sign justin bieber to save his career <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man i, I was a, I'm a big horror fan and i not here this time i may just rocked up with the dvd i think it went under the radar it was a bit of a kind of indie cult classic now like movie and mm -hmm. again you can't find it on many platforms it's not on any streamers you know yeah. it's uh you have to dig out that DVD collection. and It uh, risks being forgotten, and that's why this podcast is covering it, great, so it's not forgotten. Yeah. Everyone should check it out. <laughs> great cast. Great cast. Yeah. Peter oh, Mullen uh, is like my hero, so I was kind of not embarrassed, but I was like, why have I never heard of that? Oh, he's so good in the movie, man. Yeah. Like, I, I love a sort of character actor-y kind of performance. Like, see, if this has been like a big star, I don't think it would work the same way. Right. Mm. Uh, like, I was saying this um, outside, it feels almost like a theatre production, and with that, it's like you're casting the actors in it because they're going to bring the best performance regardless of how popular they are. I mean, I don't know if this came out before CSI Miami, before David Caruso was like known for like the whole Horatio Kane kind of thing. But the, <laughs> the charisma he brings to it is just it's unlike anything I've ever seen him do, because I'm used to seeing him be like the cool Clint Eastwood gunslinger kind of guy <laughs> popping puns. And here he's like it, it, it's almost like a fight club scenario in it, like with Tyler Durden and. Yeah. I don't know, seeing Horatio Kane swear was weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, it's like seeing him not uh, like do a pun every time he enters a room or something, you know, whip off some sunglasses. It's a shame That's Alan's gonna... not here because, like, he would be fucking knocking out all the Horatio Kane puns. <laughs> yeah, he's worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the premise of the movie, which is, like, incredible, is, like, a group of guys who just work for, like, a, you know, a cleanup company going into an insane asylum that's been abandoned. Uh, to clean up asbestos, which, I mean, quite frankly, asbestos has racked up more kills than Jason Voorhees. So that should have been <laughs> the main villain of the movie. That's scary enough as it is. I don't know if you've ever gigged at the Panopticon, but yes. <laughs> is that what it's built out of? It's, it is asbestos. It's like an old uh, comedy hall that they have here. I think it's like where Laurel and Hardy did their first performances. A lot of wow. new comics like performing there because of like the historical setting. But you walk into that room and it's like a fucking scene out of Bioshock or some shit. <laughs> yes. And it's riddled with asbestos. And I feel like it's not killing the people that go to it. It's aging them because every audience is like a fucking old crowd. And it's like, it's quite challenging and tricky to play that room, but like a good fun one if you're a new act. But yeah. the older people are practically made out of asbestos now as well. You know, so <laughs> <it's fine. laughs> oh, just as well you never did a funny bunch there. <laughs> yeah. 
I have had a strange gig in there though that was like a horror movie. Oh, what was Good it? Good fun though. It was like a multi-build mixed talent night and I went there to watch my friend and it was going so badly. My friend said, can you please come up and do 20 minutes? What, on stage? Yeah. Oh my and God. And I was like, mate, I'm just here for a beer. Yeah. And he, he was like, please, <laughs> please. So I walked into the back. There was a costume department in the back and I just like stuck on a top hat and a jacket <laughs> and just went up but the, and the, lo and behold the Glasgow yeah. kid was born <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird though because the stage isn't even it's oh. like the stage is kind of lumpy oh yeah it is so like... it's like you're walking over lumps on the stage and it's just freezing and really damp and you know some of the the acts on were just like kind of vaudeville like but not that funny okay. so and there was a magician as well that was oh. just like really really homophobic <laughs> but it what? was like Homoph yeah. homophobic magician jk rowling got it from there yeah <laughs> It was like 1960s homophobic. Like, oh, you sound like James Cagney and you're saying these horrible, horrendous things. Uh, made it my top of the world. I'm homophobic. I was like, oh, that shit. Um, but his best yeah, trick was he made his career disappear. That's what he did. Because <laughs> I, I see magicians come to comedy gigs and you can tell every comedian in the room fucking hates them at the moment. Like, especially if it's something like, have you heard of the free for all night at Monkey Barrel? No. It's like, so it's like a gong show without the gong, essentially. And like as many acts as you want can sign up. There's usually two hosts that can run to like one in the morning. And literally the entire audience is just the comedians waiting to get on. And then their name gets pulled out of the hat. It's like, oh, we have this guy and it's a magician. And he goes on, forgets his trick. And then it's just sort of stumbling through the rest of the five minutes. And you can, it would be, I would recommend people go to it if they want an insane night out. Okay. But when you're a comedian there watching it, you're just like, Fuck, I've got to follow this cunt. I've got to follow this cunt. <laughs> <laughs> At least uh, you're honest. Yeah. I mean, go, go to like a burlesque or a cabaret night. People will like you there. A comedy club, no one's going to like you unless you're like Jerry Sadowitz or something like that. Yeah. Oh, the, that reminds me. There was a belly dancer there as well. Oh, Jesus. And she was fatter than me. No, like... <laughs> I'm not fat shaming people because I know that I'm chubby, right? But see, if you're a belly dancer, like, you have to be able to belly dance, you know? Was this just like when you go to a night out and then your mate takes his top off and it's just running around? Like It was kind of like that. So I was is that a belly dancer is it, or is it... Is it just a fat person lifting their top up? I'm not too sure. But <laughs> there is a great deal of physicality that goes into belly dancing. So you, need, you actually, you know, you do need a level of uh, like fitness and, and sort of skill to be able to pull that off. So, yeah. but I think one of the issues with like one of these sort of like an open mic night or whatever is you get people who are just really not capable of doing what they're supposed to be doing. I, I think the only acceptable form of magic is something like that is shit magic, like super shit magic going wrong. Somebody yeah. trying, open mic magic, 100%. I fucking hate magicians, all right? But I would pay good money to see magic go wrong. Like, I love that shit, you know? Uh, if it's like done well and like the joke is that it goes wrong, this guy clearly just forgot how to oh, do his dreadful, trick. dreadful, is it? Oh, okay, nah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I've never seen stage magic done well. I just remember watching that Chris Angel mind freak shit when I was a kid and <laughs> then realizing that's, oh yeah, that's all just done with like cameras and props and shit. So it's not as fun anymore. What's, what's funny is like you see, so I've done like a quite a fair few gigs on cruise ships and like every time you're on a cruise ship, I typically I'll be the only comic on the ship. You'll have like a, a magician on or a couple of magicians. 
Um, so, and, and these are people who, they're the type of people who play Vegas and like the big, so you've see, you're seeing the best of the best, really, the people who kind of like top of their game. And then when you kind of like do a comedy gig and there's a the magician on or something and you kind of like, fuck man, you, you can tell they've gone into a shop and bought the exact same trick as like the massive magician has bought with the same pattern and everything, like the script, they call it like, um, you know, the pattern in a box, like banter in a box, sorry. And it's kind of all the script that they say to the crowd and the stuff they do. And it's like, they're just destroying the trick, whereas you've seen people do it work. Because they're all variations of the same same yeah. thing, you know? It's do you think kind of magicians a... look at each other like how comics do? It's like, oh, that fucking hack with his stupid card tricks. No, absolutely not. <laughs> they, they look at, the, I know this profile, other magicians look at it and they're kind of like, take note, like that's what we're gonna, it's like like the 70s of comedy, you know, like kind of in comedy where people be like, oh, I'm having that, you know, that joke or whatever. Yeah. They try and find out how to do it and they, they use the same pattern all the time. There's only a few like really dedicated magicians who want to be unique and original and I do commend them on that, but it's not these guys going to a 20 act a night, <laughs> 1 a.m. <laughs> oh, uh, affair. I mean, go to free for all if you want a wild night out, but not if you, uh, I mean, it's something you have to do to progress with uh, Monkey Barrel, I think, because that's how they get you the top banana and the weekend shows and stuff. So it's a good wee endurance test when you're starting out, but man, some of my weirdest memories have involved that night starting to stand <laughs> up. Like, oh, I almost wish that it took place in an insane asylum. It would make more sense. <laughs> it's such a thing is like to have it in an insane asylum. I don't know if it was a real insane asylum. It's an incredible location. Oh, it it's is. Shot yeah. on location. And it's like this old dilapidated building. Uh, it's such, it looks like such a cheap movie to film because they clearly got the location uh, and the, the the costumes are easy. They're just all like boiler suit kind of, you know, safety gear and and masks for this asbestos kind of testing. Uh, and it's it's all it's shot um, almost like a kind of like Mike Lee sort of realism sort of film uh, or like a Dogma ninety five. Like we'll only use the lighting that's available in a thing. There's not. It doesn't feel like there's any. Um, like artificial lighting brought in it's all shot on uh, digital camera as well so it feels very realistic almost documentary and that, that for me like that totally adds to the the grimness and the, the fear of it and this atmosphere because it's grainy as shit mm -hmm. you know it's very darkly shot um and like i said the they, they basically one of the characters discovers a room with tapes from the patients that were in this insane asylum and starts listening to it. And this becomes like one of the soundtracks of the movie is these old fashioned tapes, like, you know, running. And the, you know, when you kind of stretch an audio tape, old school, like people know, like if they're in the old people, we remember like, you know, playing music on tapes in their car or whatever, when like, when something kind of like gets stretched and like a song goes slowly for a moment, like all of that kind of stuff, like welcome to the Hotel California. It just makes it creepy as shit, you know? Yeah. So like putting that on like just simple, uh, like therapists talking to their patients and stuff just makes it so much more, you know, creepy and gravitas and and that thing so uh, yeah. that's what's happened with the with the film that's why that's why it stuck with me you know every time i hear that sort of sound effect yeah now. uh I, mean, I was looking into like some of the behind the scenes facts of this and like apparently uh don't look now was a massive inspiration for it like uh that i've not seen that movie but i've been uh told that it's uh it's definitely one you should check out if you're a horror fan but the thing this reminded me of was any he's ever played the game silent hill yeah yeah it's very much a similar kind of vibe like yeah. uh People often compare like Silent Hill and uh, Resident Evil quite a lot. And where I think Resident Evil is like sort of B-movie fun horror, still creepy. Silent Hill is like the proper sort of psychological, like this is going to fuck you up playing it kind of thing. And those are, it's a nice wee sort of difference that you get with um, horror movies like that. Because 
if, if i'm honest usually the kind of film i'll want to watch if like i've got friends around or something would be something akin of like a resident evil like scary but ultimately like fun to watch this is something where it's like in the vein of hereditary or midsummer where it's like I need to be in the mood to watch this. It's an ordeal, man. Yeah. You know, it sticks with you after. Like, I can watch a horror movie, like a slash or whatever, and after I'm like, yeah, I feel good, you know? Even if there's, like, a horrible ending to whatever, I'd be like, yeah, you know, that's kind of, you, you felt something, adrenaline and stuff. Whereas this one, it just kind of fills you with dread, you know? I can't, If I go into a building now, and it's like, oh, you know, the, the the ceiling tiles are falling off, it looks like there's asbestos in there, I'm reminded of this movie, and I think, oh, God, I just feel depressed all of a sudden, you know? And that's not kind of, that's one of the reasons it stuck with me so much is uh, this. Oh, you should come to Renfrew. There's loads of buildings like that. (laughs) (laughs) When you were explaining that there, it kind of reminded me of a movie called Creep. Have you seen that? I love Creep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great movie, yeah. The one with the... There's two creeps. Yeah, one uh, is a train. Me and uh, Dean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the train For one. legal reasons, yeah, yeah. I should say I am not a creep, nor is Darren. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, weirdly, I met the producer of Creep, the train one, when I was in film school. Wow. Uh, because that was a, they shot it in, I believe, Germany, because it was like a part, um, uh, it was a co-production between the UK and Germany. She's a British film producer. And she produced a lot of horror movies and stuff. And that train one, because isn't um, the actress from Run, Lola Run is in it as well, I think. Yeah. She's the main character, yep. German actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, her name uh, slips my mind now. But they, the, I think one of the things they did so well in that movie is like these underground scenes and like the kind of dilapidated sort of, you know, it, it gives like the location becomes a character in itself as well yeah. because it's so doesn't get pretentious on your comedy podcast pal but like it's, it's, it's right. kind of, <laughs> you know it, it feels like it's it's got this um like rotten core to it and it sort of brings you that kind of sense of dread and stuff there's nothing clean about it it's grimy and you know yeah that's yeah. what i love about it it's like that's why i like movies like texas chainsaw as well because while people uh see that as like oh, you could you could class it as a slasher technically it's like an art house kind of grindhouse kind of thing and this is kind of the similar way as well. That there was one element of this that I, I'm glad you brought the tapes up, but um, I can't remember the voice, the the character's name, but the voice of the character that he listens to, like I'm telling you, as a voice actor, man, that was fucking <laughs> compelling. Because like, it's the kind of movie where it shows off completely what the the struggle that a voice actor has to go through because see uh when you're like you could probably speak to this as well because you've done panto and that but see when you've got like uh you're allowed to use your whole body and your physical acting when you're performing it's the only the downside of that is you have to remember the lines and be in character the whole time voice actors they'll have a script in front of them but they have to create that entire performance just through a voice and the voice in this i don't know who the actor is but it fucking terrified me. Like I watched this at midnight <laughs> last night. Yeah. I'm stuck in my room while it's cold and I've got a candle in the corner because it's that time of year and it was so effective. Like it's that proper Silent Hill kind of uh, almost it, people do compare this to The Shining as well, like yeah, in yeah. a way I like feel that. Well, it's an abandoned building, isn't it? And you mm-hmm. it's, it's it kind of builds up the atmosphere so much and uh just the long periods of silence and stuff could bring so much sort of fear to it as well and, and just the history of the building like it being an old building and then mentioning the history and getting snippets of that every now and again you kind of yeah it feels the same uh, the doctor's voice is a guy called Lonnie Farmer Lonnie Far- that's a great name I want Lonnie Farmer to record my uh, voicemail 
<laughs> and he calls up. He's so good at it. I want him to do that. I want people to actually fear leaving me a voicemail because I fucking hate listening to voicemails. <laughs> do you hate voice notes? Absolutely, mate. I can't listen to them. I, if somebody sends me a voice note, I just text them. I'm not listening to that. Yeah. I don't want to listen to somebody's, like, a draft of their shitty podcast. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, just get to the fucking point, you know? Cut out all the ums and ahs. People just, as soon as they start, they're like, well, it's just easier, isn't it? Yeah, for you. Because you can just talk rather than yeah. typing. Just talk on and on and on. I got to listen to this thing. And I know you can play at a different speed. So there's a bit of a kind of, you know, session nine element to that as well. You can kind of like speed it up, slow it down. But I just hate listening to them. I just write it down nice and succinct so I can read it in my own time. I don't have to put on fucking headphones on public yeah. transport. I can just look at it. You know? uh, Stuart McPherson's got a great joke about that in his uh, show, The Peace, where I think he's talking about one of his friends sending him like really long voice notes and they're like 15 minute hostage podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and it'd just be like a they're like oh i'm just uh i'm at the shop getting tickets for the getting stuff for bolognese but they didn't have garlic they just they didn't have <laughs> garlic and i was like i get what he means like sort of get to the point kind of thing Mate, the updated version of session nine would not be discovering a room filled with these tapes it's going to be somebody finding an iphone this year <laughs> in 20 years time and it's just the insane ramblings of a maniac you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been, I'm in a couple of comedian group chats. I've seen some mental voice notes. Yeah. And it'll be stuff like, oh man, the gig didn't go that well tonight. And then just describe what feels like almost a pastiche of a weird gig. <laughs> the ground, they're entertaining, but it's like, for fuck's sake, dude, I'm on a, I'm on a train back yeah. from Edinburgh. I'm knackered. I've got to get an Uber to get home because there's no buses going because the bus system here sucks. And <laughs> don't make me listen to this. Just let me watch the Spider-Man cartoons on the train in peace. <laughs> I wish I was making that up i actually am that nerdy <laughs> no man i've been catching up on uh justice league because they've added that to the the, the animated series because they've added that to netflix that's what we've been watching on trains recently you know i knew there was a reason me and you got along in that <laughs> 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 uh, there's uh there's one david caruso actually said this uh a really interesting thing about like how they filmed this so like the whole setting like i love when a setting of uh, a horror movie like feels like a character and it's definitely the case with this because he says like it's a place you never really felt comfortable in it's there's not a like day three where you're throwing water balloons because it's so much fun to be there it's always <laughs> scary you can feel the pain of the people that went through like the danvers place it's rough not fun and they don't have to dress any of the sets like the federal government i think walked away from that building like 30 years ago it's generally an abandoned insane asylum because wow. it's a true so the, the in the film as well one of the things they mention is that um i think it was because of ronald reagan or something was it reagan who uh, closed down, like cut funding for all yeah. the insane asylums in yeah. the the US. Um, I don't even know if that, that's the politically correct term to say insane asylum. It's, it's a, I, I don't know. What Psychiatric hospital, I yeah, guess, yeah. or something like that. But I don't they, know. They closed down funding for all of that uh, stuff. So literally overnight, all of these people in these places were just kicked out of these buildings. So one of the ideas of the film is that like people who were kicked out of this building, are they returning to this building even years later? These people who suffered from, you know, psychiatric issues and, and sort of problems and that. So that's one of the things you're trying to figure out for the whole movie is like, oh, is it people coming into the building? Is that one of the, the things, them returning? So mm -hmm. we normally don't, we normally do spoilers on this podcast, but since we're pitching it to you, like, should we talk about how it ends? Yeah, do spoilers. I don't mind. I'll because, still watch it. Yeah, because uh, it ended in a way that just left like this really sort of unsettling feeling in my stomach. So like the main <laughs> character who, um, what's the guy's name again? The Scottish did? Uh, Mullen. Peter Mullen. Peter Mullen. 
he, you feel so hard from him in this film and like he's gone through like all this really bad stuff with like his wife um and his daughter dying and like he describes this uh, moment where she accidentally poured boiling pasta water over him which is painful not gonna lie i've worked in the kitchen it's fucking terrible it's even worse when it's boiling oil but at the end you find out that because uh, it, it builds up that there's this like shadowy figure running around and they think like oh is it a demon is it a ghost is it one of the patients that's still there you find out it's him and it's like sort of a fight club kind of thing and not only that he actually killed his wife and daughter after a fit of rage oh, wow. and uh I said this on the Wikipedia, I can't remember if they mentioned it, but also killed their family dog, which uh, made me quite sad. I had to go hug my dog Chalky after that for a good 20 minutes. Just let it... That always happens when I see a dog die in a horror movie. I'm glad Jaws keeps it off screen. But then they kill the kid and like two minutes later and I'm equally as fucking sad. Well, it's it's kind of... Uh, it's killing, an, I think, an animal or a child. It's shortcut for like pure evil, really. I think if you put that in a movie, it's kind of like a really easy way to just show like look this is how like this is a trauma this is a horrible person or evil or stuff and it's because he's, he's practically got split personality he's not quite aware mm-hmm. of this like you said the tyler durden thing like the kind of spin at the end because you are sympathizing with him through the whole movie and then you realize oh shit it's it's him you know wow. he's the one who's done all of this thing and you know because uh, right. he's treating the burns as well you know they're showing it and that's kind of like a gross moment as well because he's got these burns on his like um on his legs and hand and stuff like that and uh it's just yeah it's all of these kind of creepy elements of like it's not gore it's not a gory film but it, you think about it more i think and you're just uh, imagining the pain and the kind of physical moment of it and it's that jaws effect it, it leaves more to the imagination because like they don't show the shark for most of jaws and yeah. it's only as scary as your mind thinks it is and then when it turns into an adventure film at the end that's when you see the shark and it feels like proper adventure story stuff the end of this though where it's like uh, because there's a character in this who you're designed to fucking hate i think he's played by josh lucas his name is hank yeah gambling addict he's got a stupid fucking beard <laughs> he looks like um he looks like fucking everyone trying to dress like kurt russell in the 80s <laughs> uh, it's, and but he has like a really i can't remember if he dies but the reveal of of him like he's always like he's using like a lobotomy pick apparently to like break into the asylum and steal all this like valuable gold and stuff because he's a fucking scumbag and then at the end you see him just with this lobotomy pick just stuck in his eye in his, but it's sticking out it's so far into his head like it's clearly into his brain like it's just so messed up when you finally see it because he's walking around like a maniac as well like, you know thinking is it him is he the killer you know because he's wandering around muttering to himself and stuff it's like what's happened like i don't understand has he snapped and then you realize no the lobotomy pin is in his brain wow and he's just yeah he's that he's dying like there's no way there's no coming back from that you know yeah there's uh it doesn't really wrap up with a nice little bowl like a lot of horror movies this is it's gonna be one that sticks it feels like a nightmare yeah. it's almost like that creepy pasta <laughs> kind of thing where like have you ever seen those creepy pasta stories yeah. like uh like jeff the killer and like russian sleep experiment they're designed to like keep you up at night yeah. essentially this I could imagine if someone was reading this as like an audio book, it would be it would fit in perfectly with those kind of things. In fact, fucking I I mean I know a lot of um like horror video games are taking this kind of concept as well. I would love to see someone come and do something else with this story. Like I think there's more to explore in that sort of asylum. It could and- even be like um you know the way they they could spin off so many things from this because like every inch of that asylum has history and a story you know and like you said they shot it in this real building that was you know used as an institution they could be they could be a story in a different room like they've discovered the tapes of this one character which is a narrative a story told like way 
like earlier. There could be, there's obviously going to be other tapes and stuff there, other stories, other people who have to go into the building. Maybe CSI could rock up and try and solve <laughs> the kind of like lobotomy pin in this guy's head and he could finally come on and play himself and whip the glasses off and kind of like, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know what he would say though. Fuck, I wish Alan was here. <laughs> yeah, it could be like asylum, more like your eyes fucked. I don't know. There's a reason I don't write that kind of stuff, you know. It's, uh, uh. <laughs> well, we can bring it on to true or false now. I've got some really fun ones for this, actually. So um, uh, basically, just read this out. You just have to decide where you think it's true or false. And uh, we always keep score for this, but uh, I don't know. We'll find out who wins eventually. All right. So first one is the film unit only ever used a small percentage of the building as most of it was off limits as it was unsafe. I mean, you haven't seen this, but that has to be true. That is uh, that. I would say true as well. That is true. Yeah. Okay. I'm uh, surprised they were able to film in the pl places they were able to film. You know, it all looks unsafe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up, we got uh, David Caruso's character cost the film an extra $50,000 in production as he couldn't resist punning it up similar to his character in Horatio Kane, the CSI <laughs> franchise. <laughs> um, I wish that was true. <laughs> I, that's definitely false. There's no way he was playing around on camera. It's definitely false, but I thought we might get a little bit of a true in there because I mind uh, Michael Keaton spent most of Spider-Man Homecoming set time running around and telling Tom Holland that he was Batman so <laughs> actors have done it like yeah. <laughs> okay behind the tunnel with the rubber gloves the cast and crew signed the wall uh, Brad Anderson wrote we did asbestos we could oh mate I'm glad there's a pun mentioned I really hope that's true I'm gonna say true I love that that's that's as close we're getting to a CSI pun, I think. If you say true, I need to go with false then. Well, Ignacio, you're correct. That was true. Incredible. <laughs> well done, Brad Anderson. That is, uh, to be honest, that elevates the film beyond anything I ever thought of it previously, is this uh, this pun that they've written after the production. We did asbestos good. Yeah. <laughs> All the cast will die in like five years now. Oh, yeah. It's like that sort of curse thing, like poltergeist and like this. I think, what was it, The Exorcist had a cursed production as well? Yeah. I'm surprised this didn't have one. Like, there would have been reports of it, but I don't know how much money it made. So maybe that only exists for uh, movies that make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the curse in this one is people's actual bank account. Right? It's not, they're not generating any money. <laughs> All right, so I got two more here. So in order to achieve the effect on the scene where the room had to be engulfed in darkness when the fella's like running down the road, one of my favorite scenes from the movie, by the way, that was fucking terrifying. They had to use a light timer but for one shot it didn't work and brad anderson admitted to hearing spooky voices and a chill going up his spine as though the set was actually haunted those um you know the people who kind of like go and check out like do ghost tours or like check out ghost hunters you know like those kind of people those always, dweebs yeah yeah those, uh, you know those losers they should be watching justice league on trains back from geek shouldn't they <laughs> 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 they're wasting their time in an insane asylum you know no, it's, um, they always kind of like report these sounds and stuff like that I think it's something that your brain can do to you when you're in those situations I, I do believe that Brad probably experienced that whether it's reality or not so I'm, I'm going to go with true Darren false it was false I made uh, that up but uh, mostly work. so I could mention that that scene with that kid running through the, uh, the hall and it's slowly getting dark because he's afraid of the dark in the movie like that sounds like something obvious that you should do but the way they do it is so effective it's incredibly well done yeah it's um because he keeps going on about it right it's what the 
she's got everything so well set up and so like long played out that when if stuff eventually happens but the way with the lights going off um and it's such a simple scare as well what's what i love about the movie is it's it's not supernatural you know it's got these elements we think oh could it be ghosts or whatever it's not it's just like creepy shit happening in an old building that's perfectly possible you know mm-hmm. that's uh that's the previous tenants of this building uh, <laughs> i don't know if that'll be picked up on the microphone but i, I think some i think that was actually mail being delivered that's what it sounded like to me i, I hope it is I, well it's about time we had a slasher movie starring a mailman like i'm surprised that hasn't <laughs> happened yet yeah it's uh, uh, letter with a, a, his best horse in it. That would have been funny if I did me fucking choking my tongue there. I mean, a letter opener would be a good horror weapon. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, definitely there's been murders with a letter opener. I think he's quite, they're quite sharp. And, uh, I'm sure Chucky's used one at some point, but it's, yeah. he doesn't have like a signature weapon like uh, other ones. He just uses whatever's there. Ah, Chucky, I fucking love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one is uh, a large subplot was ultimately cut involving a homeless woman who lived and lurked among the building and the workers. The filmmakers deleted this because test viewings found her to confuse viewers who thought that she was Mary Hobbs, who is the patient on the tapes that they hear. I'm not mm. making this up. I swear that's in the movie. Maybe. Oh, it says here they deleted it. I mean, I remember. That's why I brought. Have you up got the, the director's cut of maybe, this? Maybe I don't know. I yeah. I swear I remember like the woman and stuff. Like because that was the whole point. You thought she was the killer from the tapes. You know, you thought this woman was yeah. like, around the tapes and stuff. Well, it is true, and apparently it's also in the movie, but it wasn't in the cut that I watched last oh, wow. night. Okay, maybe it's like a Blade Runner situation where there's like fifty different cuts, cuts in the movie. Because yeah, yeah, I definitely remember that. Like the because obviously she came back. Uh, I thought the homeless woman was a woman who'd returned from the who was institutionalized and then came back after she'd been kicked out and that's why that's why she gravitated to that place i i swear i swear that was in the movie i saw well it was true so um i wasn't keeping count but i think you did pretty well like okay. evenly with uh who got them so uh well done to both of you i love that's having you as guests yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes it's won a couple of awards actually no- it? nominated for stuff what did it get nominated for? Um, uh, best cleanup crew. <laughs> yeah. was, uh, <laughs> won the stunt award just for every human being being in there, just walking around the building that is dilapidated and could collapse on them at any point in time. Maybe it's why David Caruso only stuck to TV after this because like, he was like, I'm not going back to one of those fucking sets. I mean, you know this movie's scary when Horatio Kane's getting scared. He's seen some shit. Seen I've seen all. episodes of CSI Miami where a shark kills a woman who's been stabbed and left in a Miami Bay. If this movie scares Horatio Kane, it must be fucking good. <laughs> she was stabbed, left in the bay, and a shark ate her. Talk yeah. about bad luck, man. You're bleeding out anyway. It's like, oh, great, a shark, you know, what's next? Tetanus from the fucking wound. <laughs> I remember being really excited watching it on CSI when I was a kid because I was like, oh, they're going to do like a Jaws kind of episode. Okay. And it's like, oh, no, the shark's not the killer. Someone else killed her. Uh. Fuck, I thought there was going to be like Jaws, but on TV. <laughs> Fucking boo to you, CSI writers. <laughs> I don't mind saying that because I watched CSI Cyber and it was fucking awful. Oh, was it? I've not, uh, not gone that far. That's like the sort of latest one where they've tried to modernize it by looking at cybercrime and it just doesn't work. It's like most of the killers are like the prom king and queen and I'm like, this feels like I'm watching Fillmore on Disney Channel. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that, I think one of the problems with CSI, especially why it doesn't work anymore, is because 
like the actual solving of crimes is so boring and monotonous that they had to try and make it exciting like with some of the scenes. So like if you speak to anyone who's a forensic pathologist, you know, they're kind of like, yes, yeah, the least realistic thing ever, you know, the way they, you know, zoom in. <laughs> like yeah. It's one of the cliches now. <laughs> zoom in, like enhance. It's like, no, you can't enhance that footage. It's just, you're going into, it's just going to get pixelated to shit. Like that's what you're looking at there. Also, people are more interested in delving into the minds of the killers now, I think, in TV. That's why that Dahmer thing was so fucking popular. Yeah. I think that it, it kind of makes a cyclical kind of like uh, thing all the time. We saw a lot of that in like in the seventies when a lot of the serial killers, uh, when they started kind of coining these terms for serial killers and stuff. And yeah, uh, I think it'd be really fun actually. Like, and I hope they do this in uh, one of the Scream movies. Actually, see if they were to like within that do a movie like about Billy Loomis, but like in the style of the Dahmer movie, <laughs> where it's like really well put together, avant-garde, you've got like David Fincher directing it or some shit. And you know what, fuck it, let's, you could do that with the other slasher killers. I want to see the avant-garde Freddy Krueger movie <laughs> where it's Logan style and it's just him on his last dream and Robert England's like doing it for one last paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> there is th rumors that he's going to come back and play uh, Freddy again. There is... Uh... I I hope it happens, like, because yeah. uh, it's like Brad Dourif as Chucky. Like, you know, the remake of Child's Play is bad when Mark Hamill couldn't save it. Yeah, it's like that's his role, same way Robert England is for it. Like, you, you mentioned like getting ID'd at the movies. I, the only time I've ever been ID'd for the movies, thankfully, was the Nightmare on Elm Street remake when I was about oh, really? thirteen. Okay. They wouldn't let me in to go see it, and then they I were just, saving you. Yeah, they were saving me because <laughs> right after I just went to the video store and got the copy of the original and watched that instead. Great. Amazing. Yeah. <sighs> Because that was the last uh, Elm Street film, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like 13 years ago. Yeah. So we're due a new thing with Freddy. Like, Absolutely, yeah. We're getting a Jason Voorhees series. We've got a Chucky series. We've got Scream coming back. It's only a matter of time before it happens, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. I think there's so many things they could tackle with the Nightmare on Elm Street thing as well. That I think, you know, because it just it started getting a bit repetitive. It's the same movie every now and again. I think uh, there's lots of stuff. I think maybe they could bunch of guys could go and clean up uh, the asbestos in the boiler rooms of the old, the old high school or something and, uh, you know, find some tapes. Well, the best Nightmare on Elm Street movie was the one set in the asylum. Shout out for Dream Warriors. It's yeah, fucking it class. It is incredible, yeah. yeah. Um, All right. Well, I think that's more or less going to get us to the wrap-up stage. And we have a session on this, um, Ignacio, that I've been looking forward to saying to when we get uh, pro comedians on. I love seeing the reaction to this. But our rating system is called Big Pumpkins. Okay. Because uh, our pal Peter Bell, friend of the show, who has, has been on a few times, uh, his nickname is Big Pumpkin. <laughs> Why? Because we were at an open mic gig in Paisley and I was wearing a uh, Smashing Pumpkins t-shirt. This mental guy comes up to us like it's Paisley. You get loads of them. He goes up, uh, hey, I'm a big, he was going to say I'm a big Pumpkins fan, but he uh -huh. left far too big a gap between pumpkins and fan i'm a big pumpkin <laughs> and then kyle turns to peter and goes that could be your nickname and now it is uh what's what's the worst nickname big pumpkin or the glasgow kid we'll let the viewers decide <laughs> but uh but because of that we say how many big pumpkins are we gonna give session nine out of how many i say five out of five big pumpkins uh <laughs> i <laughs> We're talking like we're th these are pretty big pumpkins as well. This is like you know the the kind of farm um, competitions they have and stuff. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give session nine five big pumpkins. For five sure. big pumpkins. Yeah. You're gonna need a massive wheelbarrow for these pumpkins. I'm telling you. <laughs> I hope they re-release it on Blu-ray or something and they put that on the thing as like a fringe poster. 
<laughs> I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go four and a half out of five. I usually don't immediately go for stuff like this, but I think for what it's setting out to do, it's a very effective like psychological thriller. Reminded me of Silent Hill. Got me even more excited to get the Silent Hill two remake on New Year's Day. That's how I'll be celebrating New Year's by fucking scaring myself with Pyramid Head and not looking for <laughs> fireworks or trying to cook a goose like I did in twenty nineteen, which ended <laughs> terribly. Uh Darren, you didn't actually get to see the thing, but um so we can't really ask you to give a big pumpkin Wait a minute. You can't just say you try to cook a fucking goose <laughs> and then just go on like nothing happened. Have you hung out with me? I say weird shit out of context all the time. How did this happen? Flamethrower. Well, I thought, you know what? I thought I've never cooked a goose While before. While he's flying by. <laughs> yeah, so I just, I just roasted a goose for New Year's because I thought it would be fun and then my fucking roasting tray is too small so it was like just overloading <laughs> with fucking fat and my oven's never been the same. Oh, wow. My mum hates me now. So this was in Scotland you did this? Yes. Yeah. For the bells you tried to cook a goose. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're all taking ecstasy. He's eating fucking hash pancakes. <laughs> You're cooking a goose. You're destroying an oven. Uh, <laughs> should clarify, I'm not a posho. I just like being creative in the kitchen. <laughs> a hash goose, that'll be what I'll do in this year. <laughs> Can you make sure you put a disclaimer at the start of the podcast for people to that there's going to be spoilers and to watch session nine uh, before listening to this, if they are going to? Oh, yeah, yeah. We always do spoilers on the show anyway, oh, okay. so uh, it's fine. But um, I think I'll more or less uh, wrap us up. Uh, Ignacio, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Darren, thank you for stepping in for Alan. It was nice to get through one of these episodes without a whole human centipede reference for once. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you going to watch Session then? Yes, I am. It sounds fantastic. I love Peter Mullen. I love horror movies. So I will get to it and... I'll, I'll let you know what I think. When Excellent. you do watch it, let me know if it's got the the homeless woman in it because I want to know. I want. I don't. I hope I didn't just imagine that. Yeah. You know? Or that you somehow affected. Yeah. It. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, Darren, you've got another funny bunch uh, coming up. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I run a monthly night at Blackfriars called Darren Cono and the the Funny Bunch. Um, I'm the host and I book comedians. Um, feel free to. Add me on Facebook if you if you like my stuff. Definitely. And who, who's on the lineup for uh, this upcoming one? Because this is coming out beforehand. Des Clark is closing. We've got Roscoe opening. Mm -hmm. Higgins in the middle. Oh, my boy, Piercy Higgins, friend ah. of the show. He was on here talking about Hostel. Yep. All oh, right. Great. <laughs> Do you know Rory? Rory Spence, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Rory boy wears a suit, got long hair. Yeah. And then December, I've got Larry Dean closing as well. <laughs> if you're ever passing through, mate, you're more than welcome. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, Always welcome. Yeah. Cheers. Um, aye. So that's that. Excellent. And uh, Ignacio, of course, you've got your show at the stand tonight. Unfortunately, we cannot plug it here because it will have happened <laughs> by the time that this goes out. But uh, are you planning to like uh, film it or anything? Or like, yeah, so, uh, well, I mean, I mean, I'm constantly on tour, so people can go to comedylopez.com and see where I'm performing. But also, uh, we're going to be shooting it in London uh, in sort of towards the end of this month for release uh, next year sometime. So if you follow the website, join the mailing list, etc., you can see it. And if you are as much of a nerd as me, then I think people are going to appreciate that. It's, uh, it's about my love of the band Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. So, but you don't have to have seen Nine Inch Nails or, or even like them or know of their music to appreciate the show because I'm, I'm pretty funny about everything. So it, it doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> I love your confidence. I saw the show at the Fringe and it's a very funny show. Like, um, 
actually when i try and pitch it to other comedians like it's just a show about someone saving up to go see nine inch nails like how do you get an hour out of that and you fucking did so (laughs) it's so funny it's so likable it's like one of my favorite memories of the fringe this year thank uh, you man i really appreciate that are there tickets on the door for tonight if i might i might actually pop down uh i'll I'll start you on the door man don't worry about it i'll start you out class and if you're free as well are you gigging on you tonight i'm actually do you know i would love to come but genuinely i'm i'm going to see 50 cent tonight on the way oh cool man all right well that's fair he's not in town very often yeah (laughs) he's not in town very often so like or I would have, I would have, would nah, have loved okay. to. No sweat. Yeah, well, if you come in tonight, man, you get to, it's just a 90 minute version of the show now. It's a lot, very, very different to what it was like in the fringe. So oh, class. Excellent. Uh, it was a great show. Uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, as always, uh, actually, I forgot to plug your socials. Or where can people find you guys? You go first. Uh, at Comedy Lopez on everything. So just follow me on at Comedy Lopez. Buy tickets to my shows and stuff so I can afford more hash pancakes, which I haven't had <laughs> for a very long time. And Dan. Yeah. Uh, just add, add me on Facebook. Things are not going that well for me. <laughs> uh, and you can find me at Dean T. Byrne, B-E-I-R-N-E on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. You can follow the pod at BS Fierce Pod pretty much everywhere else. We're going to start putting out more clips and we've got some amazing guests booked for our Christmas episodes that I am so fucking excited about. And... Uh, you can probably go check out uh, my set on BBC iPlayer for the uh, Kings now. Oh, uh, here we go. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I didn't even go out and do jokes. I just went out and cooked a goose and got a round of applause. <laughs> yeah, you can go check that out. Tell me what you think or whatever. Actually, don't necessarily tell me what you think if you're going to be a dick about it. Like, uh, <laughs> if you like it, follow me, essentially. Uh, thanks so much for watching again, guys. We'll see you again next time.